Way down in the Bible Belt It's hard to have a time Mama caught my daddy Stepping out to buy some wine Daddy said, hey mama I got to have my fun Let's make us a compromise. Well, welcome to this week's episode of For What It's Worth. I'm your host, Blake Melnick, and this is part two of Entrainment and the Power of Sound with my guest, Tom Powers. In part one, Tom explained the theory of entrainment and his aha moment when he realized that something in music had changed post-1995. That we had inadvertently lost the natural, interpersonal, musical entrainment which occurs between artists and their music and their audience as a result of the mass adoption of digital technology. Tom's prior experience as a recording engineer came into play as he began to advance his hypothesis. Could we bring back entrainment using the very technology that was responsible for its demise? And in doing so, also create new possibilities and opportunities to apply what he was learning to advance knowledge in other fields of endeavor. For what it's worth. It's interesting. It's almost like you're taking the best of both worlds, accepting that we do have this modern technology and that there's some benefits to it, but you're also saying the pendulum swung way too far to the right, so to speak. And now you're kind of bringing it back to center. So I want to talk about how this affects, number one, and I'm focused on the artist, how this affects the artist when they're recording with you in a studio where you're applying this. How does it affect their ability to record, positively or negatively? So if I had a group that was recording, for example, we would still use the modern method, right? So I resurrected that whole bring the studio to the artist thing because now you can do it with a laptop and a couple interfaces rather than 800 pounds of gear. So what we'll do is we'll go and I'll set up a couple room mics, track the entire band. Let's say they're going to do three songs. Track the entire band playing all three songs with just two room mics, right? So we're getting that feel, right? Everybody's got that vibe, right? A la old techniques. So everybody's playing off each other. Okay, good. I like this. Now we're going to set up the drum set. And we're going to mic that thing. We're going to close mic it. We're going to room mic it. He's going to hear in his headphones, he's playing to that original track they just recorded. That's his, that's a scratch track, right? And he's now playing along to it. It's literally like playing along to the radio. So he's recreating that vibe that was originally created. And then when he does all his three songs, then the bass player, then the guitar player, then the vocalists and the singers, you get the idea. So at that point, I'm like, okay, this is great. And I actually record it into the four bus system. So my templates that I'm bringing in are pre-recorded in. So when the artists are listening back, I hit that play button and they're hearing stuff in the back of the room, the middle of the room, and the front of the room. And they're actually going, yeah, that sounds amazing, right? And it almost mixes itself at some point, you know? With just fader and panning and some volume, it does about 85% of the mix all on its own, which ends up taking less time for me, takes less processing time, less plugins. Songs that used to take two and three days to mix, you can do inside of two to three hours and have a better product. 
I find that the artists become much more engaged in the recording process when this happens. I would think so, because they can almost hear what the end result's going to be. And mm -hmm. they're playing to the sound that they want, <laughs> or they're singing to it if you're doing right. multi-tracks and that kind of thing. Yeah. So what they're hearing, it actually inspires them, perhaps to sing in a slightly different way, to sing, be more motivated, more emotion in their voice, and so on and so forth. And that's fascinating. And just for our audience's sake, I did go to Ben Hunter and I said, Ben, send me two tracks. Send me a track that you recorded originally, because I knew, Tom, that you were remixing a lot of his old material using this four-bus system. And I said, send this to me. I want to listen to your original recording and the recording through the four-bus system. And I'm going to listen to it in a bunch of different ways. Knowing, of course, that things like iTunes does compress when you upload, but I still wanted to see if I could hear it. I had them playing through iTunes. I loaded it into GarageBand. I had them playing there. I had both tracks in there, Final Cut too, so I could sort of toggle back and forth between the two tracks. And I have to say, the difference was obvious and quite remarkable. <laughs> the original track sounded kind of muddy, right? I couldn't really hear if just a blending of sound. Whereas once I listened to that song recorded, and I think it was the song Sunshine, when I listened to that okay, recorded yeah. through the four bus system, I could pick out the individual chords, notes, the separations, and it made a huge difference. So, you know, for our audience's sake, this actually does work. And I've heard the difference, and I love the point, and I think we talked about it in the pre-call, Tom. I love the point that you made when you said that when the artist hears it, after you've produced it in the four-bus system, it does something to them. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's take the Sunshine example. So what you heard were the exact same source tracks, right? So I didn't re-record it. I took the tracks that you heard from the first one and remixed it through the four-bus method. So it's the same source and the output as you, is radically different. So I, I had sent it out to Ben. Ben lives over in LA, over in Hollywood. And I had sent him a copy of it via like a Google Drive. And he's like, well, I'm not in front of my system right now, but I'll listen to it on earbuds or headphones. He's driving down the Sunset Strip, right? So it's actually his girlfriend's driving. He was listening in the passenger seat. And I start getting messages back like, I have never heard anything like this. This makes me want to get up on stage right now. And at that point, I had known Ben for a little while. The whole COVID thing, you know, took a little wind out of his sails as an artist, as a performer, like it has many others. And, and coming back, he's trying to figure out, you know, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Should I get into engineering? Should I still do music stuff? You know, which direction should I go? And it was really interesting to watch him listen to Sunshine, which he'd had for ages. It's not a new song but he heard it in a different way. And he's like, oh my gosh, this makes me want to get back out again. And it almost like it lit a fire. And I was like, this is really interesting. Now, if I can inspire an artist who's heard that song a hundred different times, you know, not only when he tracked it, but every time since then, if he can hear that song in a different way and have a different effect, man, we're onto something here. I trained another artist in it, a guy who's an engineer and an artist, a guy named Michael Paz out of Nashville, right? Absolutely fantastic guy. Trained him on how to do four bus. And his most recent song that he put out, What's Wrong, What's Right, he actually composed it into four bus. So as he was writing it, and he said, he said the production was, he's like, it was amazing. It was like literally placing pieces on the stage as I wrote the song. And he goes, it's by far my best production ever. In fact, the nice thing is 
in the midst of doing this as a capstone thesis project, you have to prove yourself over and over and over again. So not only is the method documented and, and how to do it is created into a video series, there are artists and engineer peer reviews that come with it of people that said, yes, I've tried it. Here are the results. You know, people like yourself, I can hear the difference between A and B. Yeah. And it's not subtle. So I love this. I love the fact that not only are you recreating the lost entrainment as a result of digitization, but you're also inspiring the artist to get out and want to perform, to want to write and create music differently. I think it's a new paradigm. You've created a shift here where all of a sudden the recording of a record requires more forethought. The example that you just gave that now that the artist knows this system exists, they can have a better idea about what their music can sound like. It actually inspires how they imagine recording their music and how they want to record it, rather than just turning it over to the recording studio or the recording engineer and letting them figure out. The artist can actually come to a recording session and say, I want it to sound like this. I want, you know, the guitar to feel like it's coming from the front of the stage, the bass to be coming from stage left, and so on. It gives the artist more control over the creative process. And I think that's fascinating. Yeah, it's absolutely astounding what kind of feedback I've been getting back in the last few months as the artists start to weigh in. Just not my little delusion and fantasy over here. The thing actually works. And if I can infect the artist that way, I said, you know what? If it affects you this way and you're the one that's closest to this and probably the most critical, what's it going to do to your listeners? Because with the rise of social media, a lot of people are living via proxy. Right. Sure. Right. We have these social media influencers. Right. We're watching people sitting on the beach in Bali drinking mimosas. Right. And they're making a million bucks doing that while you're just sitting there watching them. And I'm like, well, why is that? You know, people are looking for that experience. They're looking for something that they can't be. Right. Right. I think there's a certain allure to the very realistic video games where you can do things that you really couldn't do in regular society. It's kind of living out a fantasy, if you will. Mm -hmm. People are living vicariously through social media and their smartphones. That's very interesting. So it made me think about when we were younger, right? I mean, you and I are around the same vintage. We're yep. sporting the same gray hair. Uh, <laughs> Platinum we used to, we Exactly, right? <laughs> Salt and pepper. Yeah. We used to listen to these albums and the entrainment was happening in the background. And we were like, oh my gosh, this is great. And we would read Rolling Stone interviews and we would watch the artist interviews on MTV or whatever you saw them on. And you started to feel like you knew them. Mm -hmm. But it was a very one-way relationship. I mean, the artist had no idea who you were. All right. They had no clue who you were from Adam. But to us, that's why it was so important and so cool if we could get backstage, right? Because there was an opportunity at that point for a two-way relationship, no matter how short it was. Fast forward to today. What would happen if you had an artist that put out music, going through the four of us method, that created the entrainment, right? So we got that, that feeling of, oh, I'm syncing up in the music. I feel what you're writing here. I feel what you're playing. And now marry that into this social media presence where now I can say, okay, I want to see Ben Hunter recording a track or, you know, backstage before he goes out on the show, or this is what it looks like from stage, or this is what that song meant to me. And this is what I wrote it about. And it becomes conversational. And now I can interact with that artist. I can ask him, hey, what do you think about this? And Ben comes back and says, this is what I think about it. Or by the way, happy birthday, Tom. 
because I saw that it showed up and thanks for following my stuff. Who turned fans into rabid followers. I don't know whether that's right? a good thing or bad, but I get the it idea. Might, it might be good <laughs> There's a group called Gaelic Storm out there, right? Fantastic Irish group. And everybody's seen them, but really, nobody really knows who they are. Mm -hmm. um, remember the movie Titanic? Okay. I didn't see it. So but, when, you know, oh, okay. I know the oh story. Gosh, I know the ending, so I didn't watch the movie. You know, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. There's a portion in that movie where the two main characters, Rose and Jack, go down to third deck, and there's an Irish band playing that they're dancing to, and they're drinking beer. That band is Gaelic Storm. And Gaelic Storm has been around since that movie. Fantastic group. But they're the first ones that I saw that sort of leveraged this whole communicate over. Facebook and get your audience into the feeling of what it's like to be on the road. They play like 200 shows a year. And there was one point I'd thrown a message up there and Steve Twigger, the guitarist, came back and said, yeah, do that and drop D. And here's why. And he starts giving me all the information on the song. I was like, this is amazing, right? And to this day, one of my favorite groups. Why? Because there's that back and forth, right? Sure. Right. So, so now if you marry that with entrainment the best of both worlds right yeah you make an interesting point there <clears throat> and there have been a number of bands as you say that have emerged through the youtube medium not through the traditional pathways we have a band canadian band called walk off the earth they began as yeah. a youtube band and they are fantastic they started from youtube that's where they began their music career yeah, doing cover tunes yeah, yeah. doing right. cover tunes and better yeah, than and many the, of the originals <laughs> right I think, I think the first one i ever saw them was where they're all playing the same guitar and bearded guy that never spoke unfortunately passed away they had this unique presence about them and i believe dark haired gentleman and the blonde lady are married and have yes, a family now mm -hmm. yep. um and you started to know about the band Right. right. Walk off the earth is a fantastic example of leveraging that two way. Because yeah. when, when, when the gentleman with the beard passed away, I kind of went, oh man, that sucks. I didn't know the guy, but I felt real bad about it. I can kind of feel like what they're going through because they were very open about the loss. And it was interesting because not only was the music incredible, but a lot of what they put out on YouTube was all recorded in a single room. Again, I think they stumbled across the entrainment idea and the thing took off. Yep. So were they the prototype of this model? Maybe. And you know, now I just got to figure out the whys and how to recreate. Right. You know, all of this has far-reaching implications. It's quite staggering. So I want to talk a little bit about that. As you say, entrainment's been around for a long time. There's lots of people using entrainment with physical therapy, music therapy, cognitive therapy. In terms of the music industry or the entertainment industry, what are the implications to what you're developing here, Tom? To be honest with you, I don't know how far this thing's going to go. I hesitate to dream too small. Right. At some point, Les Paul went, you know, an acoustic guitar isn't quite enough. Yeah, and, that's right. And if he would have said, "Hey, this is kind of great," and showed it to four of his buddies, Leo Fender would have probably been working in a mill somewhere. But he didn't. And I, I don't want to sound egotistical or fool yourself or anything like that. But the capability to bring back that vintage sound and control it, right? There are plugins and hardware that you can kind of get around this. A lot of the IR reverb tries to push this kind of thing back in, but you can't control it. Right In the four bus system, I am actually picking the specific instruments I want to bounce off the ceiling and direct. So at that point, I'm sort of the artist as well. So nothing out there really exists that does this. 
And I said, well, imagine if everybody did it this way. What would music sound like now? Right. Could you imagine what... I mean, Adele was huge, right? Adele's music was amazing. Absolutely. Right? But from the production side, I listened to it, and because they made it so loud, it didn't really have a lot of depth, right? It was very, very wide, but it didn't suck you in. But an Adele concert is off the charts, right? Well, what would happen if Adele's music was mixed this way? Holy cow, right? right. There are tracks out there of some classic albums. Billie Jean is out there. The original tracks from Michael Jackson are floating around out there and some David Crosby stuff is out there. And I've actually run those through four of us to see what the difference was. And obviously it's not my music and I can't release it, but I'll tell you this, it sounds absolutely astounding. This is crazy. What would happen if you took an engineer and used this as a framework or as a springboard for him? What Les Paul invented is not what PRS makes today. So my ceiling can be the floor of whoever's going to take it to the next level. Right. Yeah. And that, that's good. That's the way it should be. You've got to make ideas available to the world because there's other people out there that can take those ideas and build on them and advance them. And we all benefit from that. So I agree with you. I have a lot of friends in the music business. And one of the topics that's come up a number of times in conversation is this whole idea. And again, because of the advent of advanced technology, AI and augmented reality, that the industry is looking very seriously at those moments in time, if you want to call them that, the concerts that took place for musicians that are no longer with us. And recreating that. And to me, it seems like this system you've developed would be ideally suited to that. If I think back on the concerts I've seen, and I bet almost anybody you ask can remember of their favorite shows they've seen, where they were, what the environment was like around them at the time, almost in incredible detail. I know I can. So I remember when I went to see Bob Marley in 1979 at Maple Leaf Gardens and what that was like, the whole visceral experience of that. If you wanted to bring back or you wanted to recreate that concert in that venue in Maple Leaf Gardens with that same sound of 1979, you could do that. Yeah, the fundamental framework of what we have for Forbus could easily be piped into that. If you knew the dimensions of the stage and you know how high it was and where you want the listener to be, yeah, all that's easily done. And again, my ceiling would be somebody else's floor because they could then go in and write software that would turn that into surround sound. And they could then take the reflections that we've chosen and now I'm going to bounce it to here and then we'll put it over here and then put it behind you. So the capabilities of not only what you're describing, but even the virtual reality realm, it's fantastic. In my little limited realm of space, I've created this and its unintended consequence was that it created a near immersive environment in a stereo field. It wasn't fully immersive. We don't have four speakers all around me, but it was pretty close. And especially on head, if, uh, headphones or earbuds, and you listen to them, and you heard the exact same output that I'm putting out. It's no different than any of the other songs. So you heard it on Sunshine, and 
that one's actually mixed to sound like you are literally standing in front of the stage. Mm -hmm. Well, it's amazing. And I think about podcasting too and the growth in this industry. And this has huge implications for the podcasting market as well. Sure. Because you want this for the same reasons. You want to draw your listener into the experience as if they're sitting in the same room. And one of the downsides about running a podcast during COVID is, of course, you're doing everything over Zoom as we're doing it now. And you lose sound quality and there's a distance that's created between you and your guest and to a certain degree with your audience. But if you were sitting face to face, it's different. It does sound a lot better. So the ability to sort of recreate that, still leveraging the modern technology because, of course, it allows you and I to talk and me to reach out to you down in the States and have this conversation as opposed to me jumping on an airplane and flying down there, which is cost prohibitive. But I think it it has big implications for that. So I was going to ask you about something. I would love to be able to do something for our listeners so that they can really hear the difference as I have. We have another show, another series called Pass the Jam. And this is the Mm -hmm. series that Ben was part of. So basically, yeah, the way it works is, you know, I've interviewed each of these artists and they give me a number of their tracks. We play them on the shows, intros and outros. And then we pass the jam, almost like the telephone game. So we bring on another artist and I bring those two artists together and they talk to one another and they go deep into the art and craft of songwriting, musicality, instrumentation, and all of that kind of stuff. And one artist passes the jam on to the next one and so on. My vision when I created this series was that somewhere at the end was to have a culminating event which would bring all these artists together to play live. But there are logistical issues with with all of that. But what I would love to do as maybe as an alternative or as an accompanying piece and be able to say, okay, I have all these songs from all of these people. They've all listened to one another's songs. So we've created a sense of, I think, artistic community here with this series. And that's the whole idea it's really a series by musicians geared towards other musicians and of course to introduce new music emerging artists to the world and that kind of thing and also connecting experienced musicians with less experienced musicians so they can learn from one another Um, but it would be great to be able to do something in the end of this could we do this could we bring the artists together virtually or at least their songs could we recreate it as if they were all playing together live on stage sure yeah what you're describing there would be like okay let's uh, let's take ben and let's take it began with ben yeah yeah it really began with it it's all his fault Um, (laughs) it is all his fault blame ben (laughs) (laughs) so let's say we took him and three other artists and i took the tracks of their songs and i ran them through the four bus systems but i ran them through with the identical settings right they would all sound like they're in the same room. That's really cool. So yeah, you could easily do that. In fact, on my side, there wouldn't be a lot of work to do because I'd have one master template and just fire everybody through it. Right. Obviously, you have some EQ work and things like that. But you know, as far as what the room was and the verb and the timing and all the reflections, if I made that all the same, yeah, it would sound like all three or four of your artists are standing next to each other. Wow. Yeah, there's a few more than three or four, but (laughs) you've just got my head spinning here about all the possibilities. I just think this is absolutely incredible. So what's next for you? I mean, you're defending your thesis shortly, and then then what? Well, that's a good question. No, it's... (laughs) Yeah, the thesis and the capstone project that goes with it is actually creation of about six or seven hours worth of how do you do this? Right. Videos. So... By the time I'm done with this thing, 
it'll be a full video series that people could subscribe to and learn how to do that themselves. Whether they're an artist or whether an engineer, that's got a marketable ability to it. Mm -hmm. uh, the flip side of it is I still do it for my clients and get more and more people to say, I really like this sound. Right. The vast majority, every time I've mixed one, they go, "This I've never heard anything like this. This is absolutely amazing. I've only had maybe one or two artists who went, nah, I want the, I want this other sound. Right. It's great, man. I mean, not, it's not going to fit everybody. Right. You know? That's, it's, that's it's, important. Yeah. yeah, it's not It's not the magic bullet. But it was funny because my brother, who's a renowned live engineer, Trevor Powers, he's been front of house for Aretha Franklin and done work all over the country. He did a recording of a high school jazz band in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and sent it to me for mix and mastering. But he hadn't heard this method yet. So I mixed this jazz band and sent it back to him. And he didn't respond. I was like, okay. And my brother has no filter. Yeah, he's just like, <laughs> if it's awful, he'll tell you. Right. I was like, okay. So either he loved it or he absolutely hates it and he doesn't want to talk to me ever again. And he sent it to his client, came back, loved it. And he came up here for um, a graduation party or something like that. And I asked him, what'd you think? And he goes, well, here's the problem. He's like, I love you and I hate you. I listened to these songs multiple times because I didn't know I was hearing. I couldn't place why it sounded so interesting. So I had to listen to these high school jazz band songs <laughs> multiple times. And it was, it, was, it was absolutely astounding. And I showed him how I did it. And he goes, could this be used in a live environment? Yeah, I was going to ask that question too. <laughs> he runs an advanced Waves LV1 system. And you could do this with any of the Allen and Heat Eli's. Anything that you could bust out and, and process would be able to do this. He said, can you use this in a live environment? And I'm like, yeah, you can. The four bus was designed for recording, but could you imagine what would happen if you mixed this thing in a live environment with depth? We have tried it and it does work and it creates a sound like you wouldn't believe, man. Right. Effectively, at that point, you get almost a stadium sound in a small club. And people are like, what is this? This is great. But is it the holy grail? No, it does have some downfalls. It's definitely a digital process, right? Because of the amount of processing that's going on, if you're an all analog studio, you have to have a lot of gear or do a lot of bouncing. So it's going to slow you down. If you're in the EDM genre, since I'm creating a listening environment, that means I have timed reverbs and time delays and things like that. If I'm in the EDM environment and my samples have reverbs on them, well, now you're sending something with a reverb through a reverb. And so when you get into the EDM realm, it works, but you may have to play with some of the samples. You have to gate some of them off and chop them a little bit. Its purpose really is to create an immersive environment that people can connect with, really is it. And if that's the music that you're creating, great. If your music is designed to be at negative three luffs and just screaming loud, Formos probably ain't going to do too much for you because you've squashed all the life out of it in the first place. But if you're like 95% of the musicians out there where you want to make a song that people connect with and they feel the emotions and they feel what you felt when you wrote it or when you recorded it, this is something you may want to look at. Those are great final words, Tom. I'm absolutely fascinated with what you're doing. I know our listeners will be as well. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show to talk about your research and how you're applying it in the music industry. 
I think what we've talked about will resonate with a lot of people. And as I mentioned earlier, we've had a lot of musicians on the show as part of our past the Jam series, and I'm interested in following up with you to see how we can give our listeners the experience of hearing music produced through your four bus system. Perhaps you'll consider doing a culminating episode of Past the Jam. I'd love it. Sounds great. Let's do it. What are you doing next week? This concludes this week's episode of For What It's Worth, called Entrainment and the Power of Sound, part two with my guest, Tom Powers. Man, it's been a crazy month. And I have to apologize to our listeners for the extended gaps between episodes. I've been traveling, researching stories, doing interviews, and recordings in Kimberly, B.C. and Key West, Florida. Make sure you check out our show Facebook podcast page for what it's worth, the podcast series. There are some great clips from my time at Little Feet Camp. And this is all a preview for an up-and-coming episode called The Long Strange Trip. In other news, our new show teaser out, so get them while they're hot. You'll be able to see a sample and purchase them through a link in the show notes and on our Facebook show page. And join us next week for an episode of The Space In Between. For what it's worth. Bible thumping Sundays and jukebox Saturday nights where we had Bible thumping Sundays and jukebox Saturday nights. Daddy loved to honky tonk. Mama had set her sights on glory, glory. They sure did get it right We had Bible thumping Sundays And jukebox Saturday nights We had Bible thumping Sundays And jukebox Saturday nights